0: You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings and the Hockey Podcast Network. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. Dynasty by Decade presented by DraftKings. Uh, I am Matthew clink I am coming from Red Wings Rant and the Brothers of Discussion here to talk about the 1990s and the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, and uh, of course, what the Red Wings were able to do building into that uh, 1990s dynasty. And uh, we're going to bring all of this to you thanks to DraftKings. Uh, like I mentioned, we're going to be diving specifically into the 90s and the Detroit Red Wings. As we all know, uh, the Red Wings continued their success past the 90s. Uh, but even furthermore, we're going to back up before the 90s and uh, discuss what led to uh, what we saw in 97 and 98 two consecutive raising, uh, uh <laughs> the, the raising of the cup by uh, Captain Steve Yzerman. Uh, so we could go all the way back. Uh, to when Mike Illich took over the team, bringing in Jimmy D and uh, drafting Steve Eiserman, I would say, would be the first player personnel uh, brought on that uh, kicked it all off. So uh, today's episode, as we dive deeper into that 90s dynasty, uh, like I mentioned, going into the 80s, through the 90s, talking about those cup wins, and then we'll cap off into the 2000s. Joining me for that ride will be Ken Kell, radio broadcast announcer for the Detroit Red Wings, uh, through it all. Uh, and and this is someone who's right in the thick of it. Uh, so this will be fantastic to get Ken Cal's point of view on everything here. And uh, we're just going to have some fun. We're going to have some conversations. We're going to go through some stories that uh, Ken has, um, you know, experienced himself. And uh, we're, we're going to start it all by uh, talking about how we got into said dynasty um and to start here i think it's important to define the difference between just a good hockey team right just a team that's competitive uh one that got close and the win got away from them uh one that got to the finals that uh, certainly could have been the red wings only got to uh face the new jersey devils in the stanley cup finals and, and never got close again uh we all know it didn't go that way but that's, that's how you start to define what is the difference here between a team that was just successful and one that really was changing hockey. And I think that's what this show is going to be all about. Uh, for anybody that's been listening to every episode, um, I think we're getting different tastes of what Dynasty meant for each decade, uh, of course, as the NHL changes. But uh, for this episode in particular, it, it, it is clear to me as I've uh, completed the research. Of course, I lived through it, too. Uh, I was a 90s kid myself. I don't think I'd be here right now if it wasn't for the 97 Cup and the 98 Cup. But um, we'll, we'll get a new definition of what a dynasty is. And as the Red Wings rolled on through, winning the cups, uh, and, and finding success with, with drafting, finding success with trades, uh, just regular old acquisitions. Uh, we'll, we'll continue to see how this team really became, uh, the juggernaut that it was and where there opportunities for probably more cups. Absolutely. But that's, uh, you know, that's the difference, I guess, if, if the Red Wings, if this, if this show is called, uh, so close, um, <laughs> It just didn't happen. Uh, That's where you could take a look at the early 90s for the Red Wings, but we'll see what that transformation was. You're listening to Dynasty by Decade, presented by DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use promo code THPN at sign up for exclusive offers. Before we get into the 1990s, here's the quick hits from the 80s for the Detroit Red Wings. Mike Illich, of course, buys the Red Wings in 1982 using some of that scratch from Little Caesars. Jimmy D, Jimmy DeVolano, is hired as the team's GM in 1982. At that time, Jimmy D promises a cup within eight years. In 1983, he drafts Mr. Stevie Y, Steve Eiserman in a move that is still being felt in Detroit, as Steve Eiserman is now the GM of the Detroit Red Wings. In 1987 and 1988, the Detroit Red Wings make it to the conference finals, led by Mr. Steve Eiserman and coaching candidate for every NHL team, Gerard Gallant, being his number two. In the 1989 draft, the Red Wings make moves that will be felt for literally decades, Sergei Fedorov, Nicholas Lidstrom are drafted along with Vladimir Konstantinov again, all in the 1989 draft leading to the creation of the Russian five, of course, with Sergei Fedorov and Vladimir Konstantinov. Let's take a look a little bit deeper with myself and Ken Kell. Let's roll back to 1982. Um, Mike Illich, buys the Detroit Red Wings. And uh, I, I would say the first major move is brings in Jimmy DeVilano. Uh some success with the New York Islanders. And I, I, I always thought this was interesting, um, was, was Jimmy D on a, a local uh, broadcast show talking about how long it was gonna take to bring a Stanley Cup to Detroit. So again, this is 1982 uh, and he says eight years. <laughs> It's going to take, I don't know if you ever caught that, that, that old video, but uh, even at the time, what was always funny to me was the person who was interviewing Jimmy D was just dumbstruck, almost fell out of his chair eight years. And of course we know it took a lot longer than eight years, but um, incredible uh, foresight. I still think by Jimmy D because that was that eight years really was the conversation of, that's when we'll be, that's when we're jumping into being competitive right around that range. Um, I don't know if, if you've had uh, a chance to take a look at what what those pre like 94, 95 teams look like recently. But um, I know for me, I, I was a little guy. So all of this was was the research I just recently did. <laughs> but that that really was that, that eight year time frame, I think, fit into at least being talked about, right, for a Stanley Cup?
1: Well, when I remember when Jimmy DeVolano was hired, um, I was working at a radio station in Ann Arbor, and one of the things that stuck out in my mind as to how to rebuild this Detroit Red Wing team, and it really hasn't changed to what Steve Eiserman's doing right now, is he said, I'm not going to trade a draft choice. In other words, he's going to build his team from 1982 till they win the Stanley Cup by not trading draft choices and building through the draft. And, um, you know, when you look at 1989, I believe that was the year they had a terrific draft and, uh, all those great players came to be superstar Red Wings. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's how he built his Red Wing team from the time he got here until the time they won the Stanley cup. Now, with that said, uh, what he did was he was drafting, but also he was, he wanted to keep the interest with the fans. And I remember him, uh, signing free agents like Borea Salming and, uh, uh, you know, some of these other aged veterans that at least they were big name players that, uh, you know, Red Wings fans could at least watch them at the, in the twilight of their career. And, uh, you know, they'd win a few games, but lose a lot more than win. But obviously, if you look at who they've drafted, you know, starting in 1983 with Steve Iserman, and you keep going on and on, coaster and Lindstrom and, you know, off down the road. I mean, it, it turned out to be the right way of doing things. And, you know, I think it's, It's the way the Red Wings or any team in the National Hockey League met right now. That's how you build. You build through the draft. Uh, You don't trade your draft choices and you get as many kicks in the can as you can. And hopefully you pick some really good players that eventually will be with your team for a long period of time.
0: I I always uh, like this little anecdote, too, that a young man named uh, Ken Holland was making a big push in that 1989 draft. Uh, so they, you know, they go with Sergey Fedorov. They get uh, Nicholas Litstrom, I guess in reverse order, and the next name on the list was Pavel Bure, mm-hmm. and they just couldn't get that last little. Like, all right, we need, w- we get this guy. We're going to be unbeatable forever. But it, it, at that time, it just kind of stinks that the bugaboo was you can't go overseas too many times in one draft. Um, and of course, we know they went, you know, pretty late with. Um, Vladdy, but, oh, like the <laughs> that time frame that that piece, uh, that anecdote is, is always going to be funny to me, because if if they had just gone and moved forward and, and of course, talking about the dynasty and knowing that Ken Holland's going to take over later and you're always trying to put a finger on how did this dynasty just keep going uh, as we saw it, you know, winning Stanley Cups into 2008 those those minds all put together uh it's unfortunate that the pavel Bure thing didn't come to fruition but my gosh like even at the time they they had the foresight to say this is this would be it this would be the greatest team ever if we could bring in Bury. but um i more fun is that anecdote i think the first time i heard that i was a little disappointed but um Certainly, if we go back to who was actually drafted, uh, we, we have to give all the credit uh, in the world for for Jimmy getting the Russian five started. Jimmy D is moved from GM to VP for the Detroit Red Wings as Brian Murray steps into play. During that time, Davilano was instrumental in continuing to build the Russian Five for the Detroit Red Wings, with already drafted Sergei Fedorov and Vladimir Konstantinov making their move from Russia to to the United States. Red Wings also make a play to move Slava Kozlov from Russia to the United States. Later, Slava Fatizov is added to the Detroit Red Wings in a trade with the New Jersey Devils in 1995 and then acquire Igor Larionov just after the start of the 95-96 season by trading Ray Shepard to the San Jose Sharks. Next big move for the Detroit Red Wings is bringing in Scotty Bowman in 1993-94. Moving past the 94 season, Scotty Bowman and Jimmy D, who comes back into play as the GM, would share the role And in their first big game, their first big shot in the playoffs, lose to the New Jersey Devils in four games. What Red Wings would then go on to lose again and once more in the conference finals to the Colorado Avalanche as their rival is now cemented after the Chris Draper injury. Because you talk about uh, the Pavel Bure thing. Ken Holland wasn't even allowed to push getting another guy from overseas. But now today, and all the success the Russian Five had, clearly it's it's changed the NHL for the better.
1: Well, think about this. Um, what, what, where would the Red Wings be if they weren't able to get Sergei Fedorov or Slava Kozlov or some of these other players that were dynamic players in Russia? What if what if they couldn't get out of the country, you know? Maybe the Red Wings don't win the Stanley Cup. You know, Maybe they're just a mediocre team. But I think the Red Wings gambled in the fact that They were hoping that they could get these star players from Russia to come over here to North America and play. And actually they were lucky because a lot of teams passed on these players by not selecting them because they didn't figure that they were ever going to play in North America because of the rules that didn't allow those players to leave Russia. So, you know, the Red Wings gambled. And as a result, it did pay off. Now, speaking about the Russian five, uh, the way they played hockey was unbelievable. And uh, I remember when when Igor Larionov, he was the last really piece of the puzzle. I remember um, we were in Calgary, and uh, I was on the bus, and we traded, I think it was Ray Shepard, uh, to San Jose to get him. And I remember sitting at the on the bus at the morning skate before we went to the rink, and Igor Larionov comes on the bus and sits right next to me, you know, and I'm thinking, Igor, what are you doing here, <laughs> you know? Because I was just traded to Detroit. Then Scotty put that Russian five together in in Calgary. I I don't think the Flames ever touched the puck when the Russians were on the ice. It was keep away. It was unbelievable. If anybody gets a chance to watch the the whole game, Uh, there was one goal where Sergei Fedorov scored, and there must have been 20, 25 passes before he scores, and Calgary never touched the puck. In fact, I think they, they had less than 10 shots on goal in that entire game. It was just an unbelievable display of hockey. And something different that we really rarely saw in North America. I think, I think players that played against the Russians in international competition saw how they played, but it was never done here in North America. So, you know, they were just fantastic. And Scotty Bowman put that all together. And, and, and what's funny, too, is it kind of trickled down to the grind line and everybody else. They started playing that way. And the big thing I remember is Igor Larionov telling me, hey, don't give up the puck. And back then, when teams would ice the puck or, or want a line change, so to speak, they would dump it in, make the change, so they give up the puck. And Igor Larionov was saying, why do that? Hang on to the puck, make your change while you have the puck, and then you still have it. So it made a lot of sense, and it all worked out.
0: Yeah, and and bringing up, uh, you know, we're talking about guys that came into the the franchise and started leading this into being a dynasty. You brought up Scotty Bowman. But it, it's, it's crazy to think that one of the greatest coaches of all time is also... Looked back at that time and said, "I learned something from that. I mean, it, that was something that they could actually adjust the way the team was playing based on Igor's words himself. I, and I, I do love that anecdote as well about why why would you ever give up the puck? And it, it's crazy to go back to that that Calgary game too, where just seeing them look up the ice and if the play's not there, they just turn right back around and give it another go is is incredible." Exactly. Um, but yeah, to, just to sort of put it that way for anybody that hasn't had a chance to watch those games, everyone hopefully knows the name Scotty Bowman and to say at that point in his career that he's still learning something, which is mind blowing. Um,
1: <laughs> one of the things, one of the things real quick, Matt, about Scotty Bowman is, um, you know, a lot of times coaches who are pretty successful in the National Hockey League, they're resistant to change. And they get a point in their career where they they had success and they coach the same way. They don't change. And I give Scotty a lot of credit because he changed over time. He saw the future of how the game was going to change and how it was going to be played. And um, sometimes it's hard. It's hard because when you have success doing things the way you do it, you always think it's going to work. But, you know, one of the reasons why Scotty is such a great coach is because he changed with the times and, and he was able to, you know, the way his coaching style was when he retired was way different than when it was when he was with the St. Louis blues or the Montreal Canadiens.
0: And uh, one of the major things that uh, we always come back to is Scotty Bowman is what he did to change Steve Iserman's game. So I think having that uh, background or maybe having the MO that I changed with the game Probably helped him sell that to Steve Eiserman a little bit. Um, what did what did you see from the booth? The difference between Steve Eiserman of the '80s and the kid who's you know drafted early in the first round to, um, I guess, yeah, what what we saw as a Stanley Cup champion that uh, we could attribute quite a bit of that to Scotty Bowman and and what his decisions were.
1: It has to be hard on a player like Steve Eiserman because um, he was a gifted offensive player. And uh, when you're scoring 50 goals a year or 50-plus goals, you're getting over 100 points a year, but you're not winning Stanley Cups. Uh, to, to change your game and give up your offense and sacrifice that for playing better defensively on the defensive side of the puck has to be, you know, like night and day, really, to be honest with you. Because in his entire career, up until the point that Scotty mentioned, hey, you got to be better defensively if we're going to win as a team and win Stanley Cups you know, that that had to be mind-boggling to Steve Eiserman. And and I think after he did that and started playing a two-way game um, and saw that the results were good and that they were winning more consistently, you know, then he bought into it. But it's hard. It would be hard for a guy that, that generates all those points and then you tell him to just concentrate more on the defensive side of the game, take a hit on your offensive numbers, but you're going to have a chance to win as a team and perhaps win the Stanley Cup. And if you continue to play a one-way game, you're never going to win. And at that point in Steve's career, uh, you know, he came in in 1983. And they didn't win their first Stanley Cup till 1997, and he really changed his game, I would say, around 94, 95, right around there. You know, that, uh, you know, like I think he got to the point where, I want to win a Stanley cup. And if this is the yep. way to do it, then that's what you have to do. And when you think about it, uh, over the next decade after Steve Eiserman, I mean, you've had Zetterberg and Datsuk, and they, they were all great two way center iceman. And that's the way I think you have to play in order to win in the national hockey league.
0: And it, it even goes into, you know, we do want to stick in the nineties, but that idea has stuck with Steve Eiserman so much. We just heard in his, uh, maybe two press conferences ago, him discussing his captain, Dylan Larkin, for the Detroit Red Wings. And he said himself, I don't want Dylan Larkin to be leading the league in points. I want him to focus on a two-way game. And that's what Dylan's going to be going forward. And it's it's just something with Steve that he he knows, uh, like you said, it it is what you need to win a Stanley Cup. But Steve, it's it's just something that it um, you know, like you said, maybe he questioned it at the time, but now it's just this is how this is how you do it. And it's well, the, other
1: uh, thing, the other thing too is puck possession. And when the Red Wings were good in the in the '90s and before they even won the Stanley Cup, they owned the puck. And I remember one game. I remember when Nashville came to the league. It was in 2000. And I remember the Red Wings just they had the puck the entire night, you know. And Barry Trotz, who was the head coach at Nashville, they asked him a question, you know, after the after the game, and he said, he says, "Well, I wish they would have dropped another puck on the ice so we could play too, because the Red Wings just own." <laughs> They own the puck the whole night, and, and Nashville was chasing the puck off and the players all over the arena. So, you know, puck possession is key in winning in the National Hockey League, and that's your best defense, really. When you have the puck, you control the play, you control the action, and you're better defensively just because of, you have the puck all the time.
0: So we, we talked about building this team up. We talked about uh, Scotty coming aboard. Uh, obviously, the big names uh, that that are on the team so far. We could talk about the Russian five. Nicholas lidstrom has been drafted. Uh, but it, it does get the Red Wings into the Stanley Cup finals against the New Jersey Devils. And we go down in four games. What, what do you think the Red Wings, uh, just from, I mean, we could go top level here, but what what, did, what does that do to the Red Wings and, and knowing that they need to take those next steps? And that goes along with Steve Eisenman making adjustments to his game. Well,
1: in 1995, that was the year before I started as the broadcaster, radio broadcaster for the Red Wings. And I remember watching that final against New Jersey and the Red Wings were explosive offensively. They were a solid defensive team. They had really good goalkeeping as well, but Um, You know, I I never thought anybody would be able to stop them, but the Devils employed that that left wing locker or or the trap game and and just shut the Red Wings down and the wings could not generate any offense. Plus, when you have a goaltender like Marty Brodeur, who was probably the best goaltender in the game at that point, it's going to be difficult to score. And there's no way I really thought that the Red Wings were going to lose that series and to be swept in four games. Just unbelievable. So, again, I think goalkeeping is key. I think overall defense is key. I don't like the trap game. I I thought it was boring hockey. And I'm glad that the rules were changed uh, down the road where you can't water ski on guys. You can't hook them and hold them and grab them and take away uh, offense from another team by doing that. And when they started calling penalties for that, those types of teams like the Devils, they had to change their game. So, uh, But I give the Devils a lot of credit like i mentioned they were a really solid team they could be explosive as well but once they got a lead on you you're never going to get the lead back
0: and i guess moving forward um what they learned from that is um i guess it's going to go into quite a bit because they're they're still going to add to this team as they move forward um Clearly they, they had to find a way that if, if there was going to be some strategy that could completely shut them down, there was going to be so many different facets of the game. They needed to improve going into uh, the 95 season or the 95 playoffs and the 96 playoffs, but there still wasn't success. Uh, some people could point at Chris Osgood and 95 and 96. It could just be maybe the Colorado avalanche were one of the best teams like that, that year, one of the best teams to be put together. Um, I want to take this and transition it into what becomes the 96, 97 uh, Stanley cup run and uh, talk about if you, if you remember at the time, what I think were uh, was maybe targeted ignorant question at the time was if the Russian five were the reason that the Red Wings couldn't get over the hump Um, for me, like I said, I say ignorant i say targeted i think it was something that uh for who the russian five were and of course the title and who they are led to a lot of those questions because we did see a stanley cup final uh associated with a lot of those players and it really wasn't anything that you know we're losing to the colorado avalanche that was a that was a fantastic team um in your mind what did what did you see at that at that point um because that uh so you said you came on um I guess that's really that's really your first Stanley Cup playoffs was uh, the '96 playoffs, right? I came in in '95 '96. Oh, okay, so Red, this is your second,
1: right? And the Red Wings won sixty-two games that year. And out of all the teams that have won the Stanley Cup here in Detroit that I've seen, that '95 '96 team to me was one of the best teams I've I've seen as far as the regular season. They were blowing by everybody, and I remember again. Uh, sitting on the bus, going to away games, you know, to the arena, 30, five o'clock in the afternoon. And you just had this feeling that you were going to win the game. It was just by a matter of how many goals, you know, that's how good this team was. They won 62 games. And really when you think about it, they started that season five, five, and one. And so after 11 games, they were just the 500 team, a little bit better than the 500 team. So, you know, there, when they got it going, they got it going and they were rolling and they were unstoppable, but, Again, the regular season is different than the playoffs. And the first round against Winnipeg in 95-96 or the 96 playoffs, Winnipeg, Anton Hudobin was just unbelievable in goal and nearly stole a series. Red Wings won in six games. Then the Wings went and had a tough series against the Blues. I think that one went six or seven games. And then, you know, that's a lot of tough playoff hockey right there. Then you go against a very good club in the Colorado Avalanche And you lose in six games. So, you know, I mean, it was just a tough road in the playoffs. And again, the Red Wings at that time had to be thinking, you know, we're the best team. We won 62 games, yet we still can't get it done. What's the missing piece to the puzzle? And to me, I thought they made a really good deal the next year. The next year wasn't as good as as 95-96, but they made a trade early in the year, getting Brendan Shanahan, you know, in a trade. And to me, that was the big difference maker. And this Red Wing team was a tough team too. I mean, they right. not only could they score and defend well, but they were tough as nails. I mean, they had McCarty, they had Marty Lapointe, uh, they had Brendan Shanahan. All these guys could, uh, you know, Joey Koser. I mean, all these guys could drop the gloves and make it difficult on the opposition too. Um, so they they were they had everything going for them. And again, I, I don't think '97 was nearly as good as the, the year before, but when it came down to playoff time, they found a way to get it done.
0: Yeah. And I mean, going back to the Brent, uh, Brent Shanahan acquisition, I think a lot of people forget that Shani actually ends the year leading the team in points with 87. He's sixth in the league at goals with 47. And I think he's still like, I, I joke around about this, but he was still sitting in the penalty box for like 120 minutes. <laughs> His points for 60 had to be way up there. Um, there's also the the trade for uh, for Larry Murphy uh, that I I really think at, at this point what's funny is is how much that that actually changed the franchise from a media perspective because Larry's been around now hanging around the franchise and being a, a huge part of it uh, since since I've been watching the Red Wings but those two acquisitions really kind of pushed us into this is, you know, this is where this team, not necessarily like, are they a better team when you trade away Paul Coffey and Keith Primo, but this is the team it needed to be. And I want to take that idea and Brendan Shanahan and what happened with the Colorado avalanche, because your uh, infamous line is that was what changed this team into the playoff team that was going to win. And we bring up the idea of could the Red Wings get past the Colorado Avalanche. They lose the previous year in six and they start the regular season. zero and three against Colorado uh, going into March 26, 1997 Uh, game has a few different names. I liked the perfect storm for for my favorite, Uh, but it's, it's that game it's playing the Colorado Avalanche. And like I said, you, you've said it yourself that this was the turn what, wh- where did that line come from? I, I think um, for anybody that's not familiar, even with the March 26 game, um, wh- what did you see the difference moving forward for a team that uh, went down to the Colorado Avalanche the year before Chris Draper gets a brutal injury uh, from the Claude Lemieux hit. And we go into this game down 0-3 against the Avalanche, but they, they're going to come out victors in more ways than one.
1: Well, at that point in time, the Stanley Cup champion, you had to go through Colorado or Detroit because those were the two best teams, I think, for years. And, uh, you know, it was a very even series, and whoever won that series had a good chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Uh, Fight night at the Joe, whatever you want to call it, uh, bloodbath at the Joe. I mean, it was unbelievable. And that was was the game that got the Red Wings over the hump, and they finally had the confidence that they could beat Colorado and things weren't really going that well as you mentioned they were 0-3 playing that fourth game late in March and you know wouldn't you know it um Darren McCarty who really went after Claude Lemieux he was the one that scored the overtime goal (laughs) to win it for Detroit incredible that he
0: was still in the game
1: yeah Patrick (laughs) Watt too on that hand both of them should have been (laughs) tossed out but didn't happen and you know look at look at what happened but you know McCarty always seemed to come you know he's one of them unsung heroes really and um and, and he doesn't get a lot of credit for the things that he did or has done in his career, but he always played well in big games. Like look at, look at a 97, he scored the cup winning goal on a, on a remarkable play that Bruce Martin called uh, on radio. I mean, that was just a tremendous play. He had a hat trick against the avalanche uh, in a playoff game one time and uh, scored the big goal in that fight night at the Joe. i uh, he, he just came through all the time. And you need players like that. And and normally it's not your superstars. who are going to get the job done, but it's, it's a guy, maybe that plays on the third or fourth line and McCarty tough as nails. And, you know, he really, he really did a good job, but all in all, with that said, I think uh, that that win against Colorado, really pole vaulted the Red Wings, uh, springboarded them into the playoffs. And wouldn't you know it, they were going to meet again. And uh, whoever's going to win that series is probably going to win the Stanley cup and Detroit won.
0: So yeah, let's, let's get into the playoffs. Cause I, I like that transition from, so we have our, our team built now for uh, bringing in Brendan Shanahan, uh, Larry Murphy, and now the team is is really molding together. And, you know, one of the things I, I thought was underrated too about Brendan Shanahan is, is he wasn't there for the previous loss in the playoffs, but there he was uh, getting fights going at fight night at the Joe on uh, March 26th. And, I, you know, to me that uh, we can we can touch on this later, but um, that this this Stanley Cup Finals or uh, I'm sorry the, the the playoff run was so incredible because you've got Mike Vernon taking home the Conn Smythe, but you arguably had two different guys that I looking back, I I might have said were more deserving uh, after a couple of I mean Mike Vernon was fantastic, but the numbers don't necessarily you know blow up and in, in my uh in my mind but brendan shanahan and sergey fedorov certainly did um but just to keep uh, I, I guess sticking to that point of brendan shanahan really really for me i i i think was the difference in in turning this whole thing into a more uh, like a a, a, a a gelled team in regards to uh believing in themselves but also the production was there too so i i I really think that that to me was the big uh, the big acquisition that changed everything like you like you mentioned before. Um, but I, I, I don't know if you want to touch on that, that it's almost difficult to look at that 96-97 Cup run and go, who was the clear cut con Smythe? And I think that's when you do have a Stanley Cup winners, when it's tough to really say, um, you know, this there, there was one guy that should win.
1: Well, you know, Mike Vernon was terrific in goal and um, he did make some really good saves throughout the course of the playoffs. Um, I, I just think it was a total team effort. You can't give the Consmite Trophy to every Red Wing out there. Again, the guy that's been overlooked so much up until the time he started winning Norris Trophies was Nicholas Lindstrom. Yeah. Think about this. He he played every year in the National Hockey League with the Red Wings, and they always made the playoffs. <laughs> so that's that's an interesting stat, and that uh-huh. tells you something about a guy like that. Every time, uh, every season he's played, you know, he's made it to the Stanley Cup playoffs. So he was eventually he became a Conn Trophy winner, and he was uh, terrific for the Red Wings uh, in his entire career. But I just think the Red Wings had a lot of balance. As, as I mentioned, they were tough as nails to play against. And in 97, they went up against the Philadelphia Flyers, the Legion of Doom, and everybody's talking about how they're going to run all over the Red Wings, and the Wings were the underdog. In fact, I joke around because uh, I flew into Phil- Philadelphia. I rented a car, and I was turning on WIP radio, and that was a sports talk station in Philadelphia. And they were already playing in the parade. Before before game one, and I, I go, you got to be kidding me! I'm listening to the station, and got callers calling in. Oh yeah, we're gonna turn down Broad Street. And we're gonna go downtown. And we're gonna end up in front of the the courthouse, and then we're gonna raise the cup. And you know, you know, where are we gonna put the, all the people? Like, they haven't even played a game yet. And then, uh, and then I remember we're up two games to none, and I'm taking the car back to the car rental, and I turn on WIP radio, and all these fans in Philadelphia are crying in their beer, and they're saying, like, oh, can we be down two to nothing? You know, oh, we're going to lose, and how can this happen? Well, it's like you got to play the game, you know? So the Wings were just the quicker team. And, again, they had balance. They could score. They could be physical. Uh, they could, you know, control the puck, control the play. And uh, they were so quick. And, and a lot of, a lot of the grind line guys got it done in that, especially in the games in Philadelphia, Maltby, Kosar, they scored big goals. Iserman had a goal from center ice. I think he shot one in on Hextall. So the Red Wings, uh, once they got back to Detroit, they weren't going to give it up to Philadelphia. So um, it was a sweep for the wings and, you know, the first Stanley cup in 42 years. And that made everybody here in Detroit happy.
0: And really uh, I was, um in the intro for the show, I said, I think in each decade, you kind of, the idea of a dynasty has been kind of changing. I think ultimately you need to, you need to win championships. You can't just be competitive plus a championship. There has to be multiple championships, but this really was the start where this becomes a a dynasty. And I I think when I say too, that the idea of a dynasty evolves, um, I think the NHL certainly evolved and it's, even more so today Uh, any team can be competitive year after year or then just go right down in the garbage chute. But it, it really is, you know, a Testament. I still think that the Red Wings still are going to finals against the devils, making it to the conference finals, even if 98 doesn't happen, this is still one of the biggest points in Red Wings history. Uh, Not just because it's a Stanley cup, but the, the sum total of all of those years of success and the team that's, that was put together uh, the names that are on there and the hall of famers, including the coach, um, it, this, this was like that culmination of, of everything. And um, I, I, I don't know for for yourself when you're, you're looking at this um, I, I would, I'm just going to say relatively new with uh, the radio career with the Detroit Red Wings what does that, what does that mean to you? Like to know going forward, you've already been in the middle of this incredibly successful team, even before the Stanley cup, but you're going to be moving forward with this team that just is surrounded by success. And, and what does that mean for, for you who's new to this? What does that mean for how you approach the job? What does that mean? You know, from, from, from you, for you personally, because there's, there's me, the fan and then there's there's Ken Cal who's going to have the radio job for again arguably the most successful team in the 1990s.
1: You know what's amazing, Matt is uh, for 12 straight years. You know a lot of teams go into the season they say, well, you know, are we a playoff team? You know, are we a contender? Can we make the playoffs? But for 12 straight years, I can remember all the the pregame hype here in Detroit was, you know, even with Ken Holland as the general manager is is we're not only going to make the playoffs, but we have a really good shot for 12 straight years to win a Stanley cup. Every year they went in thinking they can win the Stanley cup, make it into the final four, at least and really for the most part, with the exception of a couple of really weird losses against Anaheim in, in the first round, I mean, the Red Wings were a team, for 12 straight years, I had a chance really going into the, into the season to win a Stanley cup. And, you know, that's a long period of time to be able to say that, I mean, you would think within three or four years, that's your best opportunity to win the window right. starts closing and maybe you have to start rebuilding or something like that. But, you know, I, I, look at, and this is, I look at the great New York Yankee teams, you know, it started with Ruth and Garrick and then it was DiMaggio and then it was, uh, you know, Barra and Mantle and Maris and all these guys, like that's what happened here in Detroit. I mean, it started off with Steve Eiserman, then it was Sergei Fedorov, Nicholas Lidstrom. Then it went, then once those guys started getting a little bit older, it was Datsuk and Zetterberg, and it, it kept going. And you need those types of players on your team in order to win. And it just it seemed like they, the wings were so deep in talent in the minor leagues that all they did was just bring guys up when, when guys got old and they just carried the tradition and the winning to the next generation. So that's what I remember. Like how I mean, from '90 90, really 95, all the way to, you know, 2009, even 2010, you look at the Red Wings and they, they could have won more Stanley Cups if, you know, the ball went their way. And that just goes to show you how hard it is to win. I mean, you can have a really good regular season, but come playoff time, it's a different, different challenge. But even the teams in the 50s, and I remember my dad telling me they, they won seven straight championships, first place, seven straight years, but only won four Stanley cups, you know, I mean, it's hard. I mean, four out of seven is really good, but you know, the, the the fans here in Detroit that went through the dynasty, as you mentioned, Matt from 95, all the way to 2010 is that's, that's the best hockey in, in all the years in the, you know, in Red Wings history, I think.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's really, like I said, that, uh, you call someone a dynasty. It, it means, it means something special. And I, I, I think that's how, you know, we get a whole episode of this show devoted to us and uh, myself, the Red Wings fan, you working for the Red Wings. It, it's, um, it's something that I, you know, I think for gosh years, uh, if we say a century, who knows how long we'll still be watching hockey, but I mean, it this will be something that'll go down as the, one of the best moments in Detroit sports for a very long time. And of course uh, you and I Detroit lions fans, we know that's going to be huge, but regardless of whatever that happens, this, this red wing stuff is the pinnacle I think for Detroit sports. Um, and they'll hold on to it for, for a very long time. Um, wrapping up the 97 Stanley cup run is a tough one because both years bleed into each other. Of course, with the tragedy uh, that happened in Birmingham, in Michigan, uh, for Vladi Konstantinov and Sergei Manetsikonov, as Ken Kal and I continued to discuss uh, what that meant on a personal level, uh, we will make the transition here into part two of this episode and discuss uh, 1998 Stanley Cup run. Of course, brought to you by DraftKings. So as we continue to move forward, please sit back and enjoy the conversation on what led to the Red Wings winning in 1998. Now, uh, we want to move into uh, the 1998 Stanley Cup. And I think uh, for me, when I'm I'm looking at this, we've been talking about building a team that uh, could make sure they're getting past the likes of the Colorado Avalanche and the New Jersey Devils. And there is a lot of narrative that goes into that. But I don't think there is a Stanley Cup off the top of my head that has more narrative-driven, I guess, background to it then the 1998 Stanley cup. And of course we know that's because a few days after the Red Wings win in 1997, uh, Sergei Menetsikonov and of course, Vladi Konstantinov are involved in an accident. Um, of course, uh, Fatizov, uh, was in there as well. And, you know, thank God that, uh, he, he was able to walk away from the car, uh, was, was the story. Um, but this, this is something that for anybody who's not familiar, really flatlined the celebration. Um, and that's, that's probably, you know, from, from the perspective of of what that um, accident means uh, to the Detroit Red Wings and to Vladdy. Uh, I, I think the words of Nicholas Littstrom and, and uh, what he said after that was every guy on this team would trade this Stanley cup, this victory, this whole season, just to have Vladdy back. Do you remember where your head was at when, when that was first, um, I guess, announced on the news?
1: I was actually on my boat, uh, to be honest with you. I was out. Oh, wow. Uh, I was at the dock and I was going to spend the night on the boat. And I remember, uh, you know, I had the radio on and, um, you know, there was a bulletin on the radio that came through that said that, uh, you know, some Red Wing players were injured and there was some misinformation. You know, I, you know, I guess one report said Sergei Fedorov died in the, you know, in the crash. And wow. I mean, yeah. And, and it was like, uh, see, that's why news, you have to get the story right. You can't be putting that stuff out there. And so obviously I was a little bit concerned. I didn't know how bad the crash was, you know, and then I started making some calls to some friends of mine and, uh, you know, in the organization. And the next thing you know, it's, it's pretty serious, you know, and, you know, I just feel so bad for Vladimir Konstantinov, especially because of the fact that, you know, he was on his way to Norris trophies, I thought, and he was one of the better rugged defensemen that you'd ever want to see in the National Hockey League, and, you know, unfortunately, his career ended on that night, and, um, you know, Fatisov was late in his career, but, you know, he was able to play a, a few more years, and, and. Um, uh, Manatsakanov was a really good friend of mine. I mean, just just because he was part of the team and always communicated with him, and too bad that uh, what happened to him. So, you yeah, know, it was uh, it was uh, an emotional night. And with that said, I think the '98 season, nobody ever forgot that night. And I think the whole season was played for you know, especially Sergey Manatsakanov and especially Vladimir Konstantinov. That was their driving motivation factor. And of course, remember they had the "Believe" patch that uh, they put right. on their sleeves or their the front of their jersey, and that was for um, both of those players.
0: Yeah, for and it was those people, and it and it was especially a, a important too with with the fans. Like, um, if you went to any game that year, uh, especially during the playoffs, there were the "Believe" signs that weren't just about believe in the Stanley Cup. It was you know, it, it was belief that. There, there's something stronger here uh, than just hockey. There's something more important than just hockey, and it's uh, friendship. It's it's team. It's it's love. And um, you know, I, I had a chance to speak with um, uh, Keith Gave about this uh, a while back because, of course, he had that special relationship with with Konstantinov. And um, I remember the difference of reading Keith Gave's book and watching the the recent documentary about the Russian five and realizing really at my age, how difficult it was for someone to really take in every, you know, what that meant. And um, I, I, I just, it was something that reading, even the words of that brought me to tears uh, because it, it really is the most heartbreaking thing in the world is to see someone like Konstantinov that in every advertisement he was in uh the jokes were always flying is what you know the story that surrounded him um and you know he was the guy that was making people who were uncomfortable in certain advertisement situations he was the one there that was joking around getting everybody loose he always had a smile on his face and um you know it's just it it's the the darndest thing too that uh, we were just talking about how tough it was to put a finger on a con con Smythe for 97 um to talk about how skilled uh Konstantinov was uh previously mentioned Igor Laryanov said that that should have been the Smythe winner was uh Konstantinov and to think that you had a guy that played a a Smythe playoffs and just a few days later not not only is it an injury but it's it's career ending it's just like I mean Heartbreaking probably doesn't even do it justice, but um, like we said, that that was uh, really the driving force behind 1998. And um, I think I think for for myself, um, it was fantastic to see going into uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, you get to see Konstantinov uh, show up in that Game Four. Um, it 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 was something too. I think at the time it was four to nothing for the Red Wings. And uh, it it was, it was party time. And I think even Konstantinov uh, said that himself um, (laughs) uh, later on. And it it really was for the Red Wings, I I think a breath of, of fresh air after like trying to celebrate the year before, you know, that had to be in the back of their mind, but now they could be on the ice celebrating in 1998 with Konstantinov. And while it probably wasn't anything they hoped of the way that that would turn out, uh, they at least get to have have it have it turned back in a little bit of a happier frame by by the end of that season. Um, I don't know if you remember any conversations you had or feelings at that point to know that that was that breath of fresh air. That was you know it's it's your second cup win, but now. They get to be on the ice with Konstantinov they get to kind of move away from what that tragedy was and uh, get back into a celebrating mode
1: what I remember most is um, I took the subway from the hotel to the arena and they were all Red Wing fans and after it was a three nothing lead for the Red Wings and the Wings wanted to sweep the series from the Capitals and I think all the Capital fans sold their tickets to Red Wing fans who came in for that game four and I just, I can just remember everyone wearing the Red Wing jerseys. And it was really, it seemed like downtown Detroit, not downtown DC. And then when we got uh, into the arena, we were doing the game, Paul and I, and then uh, there was about seven minutes left in the third period. And it was all Red Wing fans. I mean, I mean, there must've been 8,000 Red Wing fans and every all the Capitol fans left at that point. And then there was this roar coming to my right. And uh, I'm looking, I'm like, what's going on? You know, and I'm looking around and, there's Konstantinoff and he was in kind of a, like a private booth and it was like in a mezzanine section and uh, everyone was like cheering him and clapping and, and, uh, you know, it was pretty emotional, you know, and I'm like, wow, you know, and then I'm thinking like, you know, I wonder if he's going to get on the ice, you know, if, you know, if the Red Wings, or when the Red Wings close them out. And sure enough, um, you know, the the Zamboni gates swung open and then uh, they wheeled vladimir out onto the ice and i can remember him being out there at center ice and the wings giving him the stanley cup and he was holding on to it and they were taking all the pictures and it really was an emotional time and and um, all i can remember is is just all the hard work that the team put in when you lose a player like that on your blue line um, you know that's a big hole to fill and somehow the red wings found a way to get it done without Vladimir Konstantinov, but um, he was a big part of this team, big part of this organization, and I was glad that he was able to celebrate with the team on the ice. Yeah,
0: and something um, to get back into, I I guess, uh, the hockey of of the nineteen ninety eight Stanley Cup win. uh, To I I would say we we definitely have to look at Steve Eiserman and really coming into you know, what he is now where people said if, if he wanted to, he could run for the governor of Michigan to <laughs> win in a landslide. Uh, but he, he walks away with the con Smythe and it, it really was, you know, you go back to the 1997 Stanley cup win and uh, what happens a few days later. And Steve Eiserman, who is just a captain of a hockey team is in front of microphones speaking to the media about what happened to I, you know we would assume a dear a dear friend of his and he has to he is taking the lead on all of this to tell the world what happened go through that entire year Eiserman continues to lead he continues to see what's more important from Steve Eiserman's perspective of uh being a champion over being a, a points leader in the NHL and now he goes through this uh the second straight cup and wins the Conn Smythe what what do you see uh, for Steve Eiserman? Was this, is is this being the moment of him becoming um, again that guy who could run for governor of Michigan and win? Uh, the captain is what he moves forward with uh, with the Detroit Red Wings and with the Detroit sports. Um, you know that's that's his moniker. That's his nickname. Um, you know, what do you what do you see with Steve Eiserman at that moment?
1: Well, you know what uh, the thing about Steve I always remember is um, he didn't have to say anything. For you to understand what you needed to do, he could just give you a look and, and a stare. And you know, um, if you were a player or a teammate, you know, if you weren't doing something right, he'd stare he'd stare you down. And you know, you knew you had to improve somehow. Uh, but but that's the thing—he was a man of few words. But when he did talk, people listened. And when you were mentioning, you know, what he had to do as far as explain to the world about what was going on with his teammates, the injured teammates, I'm sure knowing Steve Eiserman, that that was the last thing he wanted to do was get behind a microphone and have to talk about it. But, you know, being the captain of the Red Wings, that's what, that's what you got to do. And that's what he did. And he did it well. And um, again, to be able to lead the team as your captain in after winning the Stanley cup. I mean, think about it. It, It's hard to win back-to-back Stanley cup champs. I mean, I can't remember the last time a team won back-to-back Stanley cups could have been the Islanders back in the eighties. I'm not sure up to that point. And, you know, it's hard after you win a Stanley cup and you go through the grind to come back the next year and, and do it again is really, really difficult. So, and, and especially when you lose one of your better defensemen back there. So, so you know, to rally his team together and get motivated around what happened in the off season in ninety seven really says a lot about the leadership of of Steve Iserman and you know, well deserved of the Conn Smythe Trophy in nineteen ninety
0: eight. And there there were, uh, like you mentioned, losing uh, one of your best defensemen. Uh, the Red Wings also lost the Conn winner, uh, Mike Vernon. So the other name I wanted to make sure we went over was Chris Osgood. Uh, who got, I, I would say, is almost a, a redemption story, and he also had many redemption stories throughout the 19, uh Stanley Cup playoffs, um, where it seemed like if Chris had a bad game, he showed up the next night and was either one goal or a shutout. Um, I, I, for one, was a huge fan of Chris Osgood at the time. I'm 10 years old. Uh, it, it was, you know, it could have just been how fantastic that name is, but Chris was a great representation of making sure you don't let, you know, number one, I mean, the fans could, could get at him pretty hard, but don't, you know, don't let those goals get in the back of your head, just keep moving forward. And it's a great way, you know, for him, obviously to play hockey, but it's, it's a great lesson for a kid to learn me at 10 is bad things can happen. And, And Chris said it himself after winning the cup was, uh, you know, sometimes bounces just don't go your way, but the important thing is to not sit there and blame the bounces, but to know that you've just got to get up and keep working the next day. Um, again, for me, Chris Osgood, huge uh, redemption story. What what do, you, what do you see, or what did you see out of Chris at, at that time?
1: Well, I remember the fans, you know, really getting on Chris a lot of times because um, – you know they they were questioning whether or not he could get the job done. And when you think about it, in ninety 96, 96, 97, you know, both goaltenders played Vernon and, and Osgood, and they rotated. But you know, in the end, it was the veteran Vernon that got the job done winning the Stanley Cup. And now that he he left, it's it's up to Chris Osgood. And in ninety-eight, again, people were you know sometimes critical of of, of Chris Osgood, but you know, he had the right mentality, I think, as a goaltender in that he didn't let a lot of things bother him. It um, didn't matter what the fans said or if he read something. All he wanted to do was go out there and compete and, and play well. And if it was a loss, it, you know, it was like water off a duck's back. You know, he just said, well, just come back the next day and, and uh, you know, compete and try to win the next game. So, you know, I, I really liked his attitude. And, and um, you know, obviously he had a really good team still in front of him to help him out. And, and I think that was key. That's key to any goaltender. I mean you, mean, you need the goaltenders to make the big saves when they have to, when they have to make those big saves. But on the other hand, you have to count on your teammates to come back in your own zone and help you out. And, you know, the Ford's helping out the defense, the defense helping out the goaltender. So, you know, it was a whole total team effort, but uh, Osgood, in my opinion, was really good in 98 and it was good to see him win a Stanley cup.
0: Yeah, then, I mean, 10 years later, you could even make the argument he had the best, uh, that was his best Stanley Cup run, his best playoff run uh, of his career. A, a, a man, a goaltender, 10 years older in 2008. Allow Ken Call and I to conclude this podcast, of course, brought to you by DraftKings. We're going to take a couple quick shots at exactly uh, what happens with the Detroit Red Wings franchise as they move into next decade and of course the decade after that and we'll talk a little bit about the red wings current situation so please sit back and uh we'll wrap up the show so to to wrap up the conversation obviously like i said earlier we're not spoiling anything to talk about red wings are going to win a cup in 2002 that of course uh i think it would be fair to say that the pre-cap era had a lot to do with the red wings being able to build that monster a hall of famer from top to bottom team. Uh, but of course, I think the mentality of, of what you said earlier about building through the draft is is where a lot of the victory in 2008 came from. Uh, because when you wrap up that 1998 season, you've got the Stanley Cup. First thing on the docket is the draft. Seventh round of that 1998 <laughs> draft. You pick up, I would say, future hall of famer. Uh, or uh, I guess what we want to talk about is maybe if that number is going to get uh, put up in the rafters, but uh, Pavel Datsuk. Um but it's, it's Pavel Datsuk being drafted in 98. You're uh, trading for, for Chris Chelios as well, going into uh, 99. And this is something where we talk about the bounces. You talk about what, what Chris Osgood would say is sometimes the bounces just don't go your way. And a team, like you said, about 12, 15 straight seasons, uh, you have your meetings and uh, before the season starts and you, you, it's determined that this is another Stanley cup potential team. And uh, sometimes it just, it just didn't go their way, but there's, there's something more important. I think when, when talking about the, the greatest teams, the greatest franchises for chunks of periods, um, and especially as the NHL continued to change and uh, for how competitive the league would be from top to bottom, it, it's astounding that this ended up being 25 straight years of, of playoffs and um, you you are in the thick of it. Um, you get to speak to other you know radio play by play analysts for for other teams uh, throughout the years. Uh, I mean, what is it what is it for Ken Cal's career to see or to be a part of what what that ended up being was twenty five straight years. You could mix that all into just being the dynasty itself. Um, but what? Yeah, what? What did that mean to you to be a part of those twenty five years?
1: Well, it means a lot, and I think timing is everything. And I guess I was in the right place at the right time, and uh, when I was hired in in nineteen ninety five. But you know, I always thought about the Red Wings of old, and and Bruce Martin and Bud Lynch, Bud Lynch especially because um, you know he called and saw a lot of those early Stanley cup championships. And, and um, I always wondered, you know, wow, what was it like, you know, to be a part of all those championships in the fifties and, you know, all the great stories used to tell. And here I am today uh, talking to you, Matt, and uh, I'm kind of like Bud Lynch, you know, years later, but I'm talking about all the, you know, all the great teams and all the great players that the Red Wings had. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm like in the same position that Bud Lynch was in, you know, and, and I'm, talking to the new generation now about what it was like in the old days and you know that's already what 25 26 years ago when the Red wings when I first started so um, you know it just tells you I guess you're getting a little bit older and uh, <laughs> but, but I've seen I've seen a lot of great hockey and and again just very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time and again my first year sixty two wins I thought wow this is how this is a pretty easy job when you win 62 games all the time then you start winning cups bang bang 97 98 and then 2002 2008 you go to game seven 2009 and uh, and that was a tough loss there but I mean I mean uh, you know just a lot of great hockey a lot of great players uh, a lot of great stories a lot of great memories and you know I I don't know it's going to be a long time before we ever see that run again i think in in detroit or let alone any other city in the national hockey league the way the way it works now with the salary cap is you know your window of opportunity is maybe five six years if you're lucky and then it shuts in a hurry and you know the parity now is is unlike any other time in in the sport and every team is good right now And, and uh you know you, you need a lot of luck you need a, you need to be healthy you need your bounces to go your way and you know all that factors into winning stanley cups and the teams that can do it consistently are the teams that are going to win but you know i like the track that the red wings are heading in right now going in the future but if you look in the past we've seen a lot of great hockey here in detroit no doubt about it
0: yeah it's uh, at least from a fan perspective Uh, I think, uh, Red Wings fans right now, we get ragged on a lot, but, uh, I do get to turn around and say, you know what? I will take the struggles right now to know that I got for the first 25 years of my life was, uh, Red Wings winning. Uh, I, I would not trade that for anything. And, um, you know, there's a lot of fans out there. I mean, if you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, um, it, it certainly is frustrating so it's I guess just to wrap up that uh, the conversation on what you know what this means uh, for me uh, and and what <laughs> what literally decades of of winning can do. I mean, I, I definitely would not be here right now, like I mentioned earlier, if it wasn't for the '97 and '98 Cup runs. Uh, you're young, you're impressionable. You go, wow, hockey is pretty fantastic. Um, but. I, I know I'm going to be around for the long haul. I know I'm going to wait for, uh, as we mentioned, the captain, the GM of, of the Detroit Red Wings, Steve Iserman, uh, given a go. Um, I'm ready to give him the eight years that Jimmy D said he wanted, and I'm willing to give him that extra little chunk to, to turn it into from competitive to Stanley Cup winner. Uh, so I, I think, if anything, there's at least a lesson to be learned there. But yeah. Um, yeah, this, this, this to me is, is there's, there's a good chunk of my life that is all about this Red Wings dynasty. I mean, I'm decked out in Red Wings stuff right now. There's probably a very rare day where I don't have something, if it's not a hat or a, a sweatshirt that has Red Wings on it because of this. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be forever grateful, uh, one, for what Jimmy D, Mike Illich, Ken Holland put together uh I've said it to you before uh i will be forever grateful that you were you're my radio broadcast host um for the detroit red wings for me as a fan um and for you know like i said i've said it before but uh, i can't thank you enough still just for coming on this show and chatting with me too
1: well it's a lot of fun and uh i just i just remember matt that uh before the red wings won in 97 it was 42 years and everyone always talked about the, the Red Wings of the fifties and the Stanley cups. And then, you know, the Red Wings started winning their Stanley cups. And, and now everybody talks about the old days that, that I was a part of, but in the future, when the wings win the Stanley cups, they're going to forget about, you know, these days and and concentrate on the, the the championships that they will win in the future. So that's just how it goes. Nobody talks about the fifties anymore. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping soon that, the Red Wings will start winning some Stanley Cups, so that uh, players or people, fans, will start talking about uh, the new the new version Red Wings that are going to be in the playoffs and have opportunities to win the Stanley Cup. Certainly, it was it was a pleasure for me to be a part of it. But uh, again, looking down the road, and maybe the next broadcaster uh, of the Detroit Red Wings will have a lot of uh, great hockey to call. Uh, I'm hopeful. Hopefully, I'm still a part of it for a while. But uh, yeah, that's what we want. I know time doesn't last forever, so you know, like uh, <laughs> I'm getting in the twilight of my career right now. So uh, I'm hoping that um, you know Steve will turn it around, which I think he will. And you know, down the road, whoever takes over for me is going to be um, you know very lucky in the fact that uh, they'll they'll be able he or she will be able to call a lot of Stanley Cup
0: championships. We'll keep our fingers crossed. It's not uh, uh, 42 years. <laughs> but um ken again thank you so much and everybody listening um thank you for tuning in to uh the 90s version of uh dynasty by decade uh presented by DraftKings. kings and uh who knows uh maybe we'll uh we'll get the invite uh to do the 2000s dynasty by decade as well and we'll jump into that um thanks again ken and uh have a good one all right thanks Matt. always a pleasure Thanks again for tuning in to Dynasty by Decade. I am Matthew Klink of the Red Wings Rant Podcast. Of course, that was Ken Kell of the Detroit Red Wings Radio Broadcast. Uh, We hope that you'll check us out at BOD Hockey for Red Wings Rant and find us on YouTube as the Brothers of Discussion, where we will be posting on a weekly basis our new episodes for not only detroit red wings hockey but also pro wrestling and of course red wings rant is a part of the hockey podcast network they have new hockey content coming to you every single day if you are not involved in the conversation with the hockey podcast network you're missing a ton so thanks again to ken cal thanks again to the detroit red wings thanks again for making them into who i am now And thank you to our sponsor, DraftKings, for helping us create this program. Once again, this was Decade by Dynasty, and I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about the Red Wings run in the 1990s.